0: All right, I want to start with a very simple principle this morning, just a really simple principle. I think we can all agree on it. We have faith in things that work. Does anybody agree with that? We have faith in things that work. Nobody else agrees with that, but that's okay. Uh, I'll give you a few examples, and maybe you'll warm to the subject. If you're a climber, you have faith in a figure-eight follow-through knot. That knot's not going to slip on you. It's just going to tighten up on itself. If you're a mathematician, you have faith in the quadratic formula. If you're an English teacher, you have faith in the Oxford comma, or at least you should. If you're a citizen of the United States, you have faith in the Constitution. And if you're an IU fan, you have faith in next year. I'm sorry, that was terrible. That was terrible. <laughs> All right, I got one more for you. One more. If you are a tractor driver, you have faith in your tractor. You thought I was going to say a color, didn't you? Now you have faith in your tractor. Green, red, orange, purple, blue, clear, whatever color your tractor is, that's the tractor that you have faith in. We have faith in things that work. And part of Jesus' purpose in miracles is teaching us that he is worthy of our faith. Jesus is worthy of our faith. Now he's shown us that in several different ways already. The text that we're going to use today comes as the the culmination. It comes as the conclusion of a a passage where Jesus is demonstrating his authority. The reason why he is worthy of our faith. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus shows us his authority over nature when he says, Hush, be still to some stormy seas. The disciples thought they were going to die in this storm at sea, but Jesus says, hush, be still. And the seas were quiet and calm. So Jesus has shown His authority over nature. In Mark chapter 5, the first part of Mark 5, Jesus has shown His authority over demons, not by saying anything, but by simply being near them. The demons see Jesus approaching and they go, oh no, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Please have mercy on us. Jesus doesn't even have to say anything to them, he just has to be near them, and it's evident that he has authority over them. And in the text that we're going to look at today, Jesus shows his authority, not only over, of, over nature and of demons, but Jesus today shows us his authority over sickness and death. But before we read the text that we're going to look at today, I want to, I want to take a moment and thank you all. Uh, I want to thank you all for your prayers for Leah's grandpa. Um, I know that that most of you have been been praying pretty hard, and and, uh, uh, we're we're really grateful for that. Some of you may not know what happened, so I'll take just a moment and explain that real quick. Last Saturday afternoon, he was working with uh, two of his cows who were calving. And uh, one of the two had already given birth and and the calf was next to the mother. The other cow hadn't given birth yet, but got confused when she saw the calf next to the other one and uh, got a little aggravated. Got a little irritated uh, because she thought that was her calf, and what is my calf doing with that other mom? And so she got a little irritated, and agitated. Uh, Leah's grandpa was working on separating the two animals with the help of a friend, and uh, then the confused cow got loose, got out of the chute, and uh, trampled him. Um, so he fractured his right ankle, and he cracked several of his ribs, and he he broke his neck in three places. So. Um, Leah and I found out early Sunday morning, we got more details Sunday afternoon. When we got more details, we said, okay, it's, we, need to, we need to make a trip out to Missouri. Well, he was in the hospital in Illinois, so we went out to Illinois. We said, all right, we need to go out there. Uh, to be perfectly honest, when we left, we thought there was a strong possibility that we would be leaving to say goodbye. Uh, we found out later that the doctors hadn't expected him to live through Saturday evening, but he did. Then they said if he doesn't have surgery, he's going to he's gonna have to lay flat on his back. And that's how, that's how the remainder of his life will go. He'll have to lay flat on his back. Well, he's got some, some lung problems that are pre-existing, so laying flat on his back was pretty rapidly going to lead to pneumonia that would in all likelihood take his life. Uh, The other option is surgery, but because of his pre-existing lung problems, they weren't sure that he would be strong enough to endure the anesthesia. Well, he survived the surgery. And the doctor said, this is going to allow you to be able to sit up. You're going to be able to sit up, but you're, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life. Then he started moving his legs. Now they've got him up and walking around. And doctor said, Mr. Parrish, I I don't know how, but I do believe you're going to walk out of here, sir. He may not know how, but we do. We do. A lot of people have been praying for Papa Alvy, and uh, a lot of them are you. So Leah and I want to take a moment, just say thanks. We appreciate that a lot. You know, there's no doubt in our mind that prayer is what made the difference. There's no doubt in our mind that God is the one who gave those medical professionals the brains that they have to understand how our bodies work. There is no doubt in our minds that God is faithful. And so we want to thank you for your part in that. You know, as we left, (laughs) I got to tell a joke. I can't get too serious. I got to lighten it, okay? You know? I get too close to emotion and I get scared. So I'm going to tell a joke. As we left, we were all kind of joking around and uh, Leah's mom said, you know, I-, I think we're going to get Papa Alvy a Superman t-shirt. I said, no way. I'm going to get Superman a Papa Alvy t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5 and we will start in Verse 21. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21, reads this way, Jesus got into the boat again and they went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around Him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at His feet, pleading fervently with Him. He said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her so she can be healed and live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had not gotten better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, If I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of this terrible condition. And Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched me? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd. You see all these people pressing around you? How can you ask who touched you? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and asked, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's just sleeping. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha cum. Which means, little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around and they were all overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then He told them to give her something to eat. It's an interesting text. There's a theme here. And the theme is healing. Jesus is healing people but remember a miracle is always about more than the action. So Jesus is teaching us that he can heal physically, but more importantly, he's teaching us that he can heal spiritually. And so there's this culmination verse that kind of that ties the whole thing together right in the middle. Verse 34, Jesus says this, "Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace." Your suffering is over. Jesus said, Your faith has made you well. A lot of times we try to insert other words into that sentence and we try to say it for Jesus. We try to say, Your actions have made you well. Your obedience has made you well. Your money has made you well. Your fill-in-the-blank has made you well. But we can't do that. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And then He says, go in peace. Your suffering is over. If all Jesus had said was, your suffering is over, we could reasonably assume that the only thing Jesus was communicating is I've ended your illness. But Jesus says more than your suffering is over. He says go in peace. And this is very specific language. Very specific language. James Brooks is a New Testament scholar in the Gospel of Mark. He says that the peace Jesus pronounces over this woman is a status of wholeness and well-being because of a right relationship with God the status of wholeness and well-being because of a right relationship with God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't speak scholar. I don't speak New Testament scholar. So let me tell you what he's saying there. This isn't peace like we think of it. right? A lot of times when I think of peace, I think of having a loud co-worker named Atticus. And when he goes home for the day, I, uh, I have some peace. I can concentrate on what I'm trying to accomplish. Right? Ah, have some peace. Or, or maybe at your work outside there's a jackhammer that's going from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And so at 6.15, you're going, ah, oh, have some peace. I don't know what peace looks like in, in your life. Maybe it's your lunch break. Your whole day is just crazy, crazy, crazy. Go, go, go. Run, run, run. But then on your 30-minute lunch break, ah. Oh. Or if you're a teacher, recess. Ah, finally have some peace. I don't know what peace looks like in your life, but that's how we tend to think of it. This is not what the Bible is saying here. I want you to think about peace a little bit differently. This is the peace that comes from a restored relationship. I want you to think about a time where you've had a fight with somebody you love. You're mad. They're mad. It feels awful, doesn't it? I hate that feeling. Maybe, maybe it doesn't for you, but I, for me, this is how it works in my life. About 15 seconds after all the unpleasant things are said, I hate it. And there's nothing I want more in the whole world than restoration. I want the fight to be over. I want things to go back to normal. I want that relationship to be filled with love again and get rid of this anxiety and that edge that hangs over a relationship that's full of tension. I hate it. My soul longs for restoration. I don't know if you understand that, but that's where I'm at. Right, Even right in the middle of an argument, my soul deeply, deeply wants restoration. I want to figure it out. And what happens when that restoration finally comes? When you've said you're sorry. When they've said they're sorry. You've apologized to each other and life has lost that edge of hostility. What happens? <sighs> That's so much more profound than the absence of a jackhammer, right? That is peace. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's the kind of peace that Jesus pronounces over this woman. Except it's not just peace with another person. He's saying that this woman now has peace with the Creator and the Sustainer of the universe. The God who has said, let there be light, and there was light. There is no longer tension between that woman and God. Jesus says, go in peace. (sighs) Go in peace. See, Jesus is talking about healing people physically. But more than healing physically, it's a reminder that Jesus heals spiritually. All right, let's go back to, let's go back to Jairus and uh, Jairus and his daughter. Uh, and Jairus says, My daughter's sick. Jesus, please come and heal her. I know that you can. If you just lay your hands on her, she can be made well. So Jesus goes off with Jairus and they, they're walking towards his house. But in the middle of that narrative, something else happens. We're introduced to another main character, and it's a woman. A woman who has been suffering for over a decade. And there's an incredible contrast between these two main characters. Jairus being a main character and this woman who's been suffering. There's an incredible contrast between these two main characters. These people both come to Jesus, but they both come to Jesus from very different places. First of all, Jairus is a man. And she's a woman. In the first century, that's a big difference. It's a big difference culturally. He is highly educated. She is not. He's a religious leader. She is not. He is rich. She is poor. He is healthy. She is sick. He was an advocate for his daughter, and she didn't have anyone to advocate for her except for herself. He had a strong pedigree, higher education, privilege and respect in the marketplace, and she is a nameless woman with no social standing, no money, just a decade-long illness that makes her religiously unclean. And it's interesting to me that we know Jairus' name. We know the first main character's name, but we don't know hers. Why is that? We're told Jairus' name because in the first century, people who lived near the Sea of Galilee would have known who he was. He was a leader in the local synagogue. He had name recognition which lends credibility to the story. If this encounter happened today, uh, we would, instead of saying Jairus, Troy Mary would be a good name to, uh, to insert into the story as well. If, if you don't live in Salem, he's the mayor. okay? Uh, but Troy Mary would be a gentleman who would be a suitable replacement. He's got name recognition. People in the community would know who he was. Afterwards, we would say, I know who that was. That was, that was Troy Mary that came and asked for Jesus to help. His name is recognizable, and so if we retell the story later, it adds credibility to the account. Jairus' name was recognizable, and so it adds credibility to this account. Now, let's say you put me in Shoals, right? Go Jug Rocks. And uh, Tony is in Shoals. I've had a, a, a nosebleed for 12 years and I hear that Jesus is coming through town and I say, if I could just touch his robe, then all of a sudden I'll be healed. And so I do, I touch his robe. And Jesus and I have this conversation, he says, go in peace, your faith has made you well, that's fantastic. You know what's not going to happen later on when people retell that story? They're not going to say, Tony Mendezebel was healed by Jesus today, they're going to say, some guy. Nobody in Shoals knows who I am. They say, Some guy who had a beard and a giant nosebleed was healed by Jesus today. My name would add no credibility to that story, and so it gets lost with time. That woman's name wasn't known to people in that town. He was well known, and she was unknown. These two people come from entirely different worlds. There's really only one thing that they have in common. They both came to Jesus. They both came to Jesus. They both thought that coming to Jesus with their problems would make a difference. And you know what? They were both right. world of suffering doesn't discriminate. Suffering. It doesn't discriminate. Tragedy doesn't care if you're rich or poor, white or black, saved or unsaved, urban or rural, educated or uneducated, well dressed or tacky, bearded or clean shaven. Tragedy doesn't care about any of that. Everyone will go through seasons of suffering. Some of us are there right now. I know some of you have lost loved ones recently, some of you are sick. Some of you have been sick for a long time. Some of you have loved ones who are sick. Some of you have loved ones who have been sick for a long time. Some of you are struggling with addiction. Some of you are struggling in your relationships. Some of you want to quit your job every day. Some of you can't see your way through the month financially. Some of you just don't see any hope. None of our problems are the same. The things that we struggle with are unique to our own lives, but we have something in common, no matter what our problems are and no matter where we come from with those problems, we have one thing in common. We can take it to Jesus. We can take it to Jesus. We have that privilege every time we pray. Now I'm going to be honest with you this morning. He may not answer your prayer in the way you'd like. I've got I to gotta say that. Just, just Professional integrity requires me to say that He may not answer your prayer in the way you like. You're probably going to wake up tomorrow and not love your job. You're probably going to wake up tomorrow and need to take the same medications. You're probably going to wake up tomorrow and feel the pain of loss. But there is one request that God will always answer, though. When a person comes to Jesus in faith and asks that their sins be forgiven, that request will be granted. And even though the rest of that pain is still very real, all of a the sudden, <sighs> there's peace with God. There's peace with God that transcends all of our understanding. It doesn't take away the rest of the pain. It doesn't take away the rest of the struggles that we have to endure as we live on this earth. But all of a sudden, there's peace with God. And that makes all the difference in the world. I want to show you what this looks like. This is taken from Acts chapter 8. The believers who were scattered there, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And it is good news. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. He's telling people about the Messiah that we're studying this month. And the crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in the city. Now notice Philip here, he is able to perform miracles, that shouldn't surprise us. Because the purpose of a miracle is for God to reveal Himself in order that His commands be obeyed or teachings learned. What does God want to reveal about Himself? What does God want to make sure that the people in Samaria get? Skip ahead, verse 12. Now the people believed Philip's message. What message? The people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. What's God want us to learn? What is he trying to get our attention with as he performs these miracles through Philip? He wants us to learn about his kingdom, and he wants us to learn that Jesus forgives sins. And what happened when Philip taught this message? The people believed what he said, and they were baptized. You know how Jairus and the woman, they both came to Jesus? Jesus? They came to Jesus from different places in life. He was respected and she was anonymous. He was rich and she was poor. He was educated and she was not and on and on and on. You know how they both came to Jesus but from different places? They both came to Him. That's what happens in baptism. It's our admission that we believe that Jesus can help us with our sin problem. And it's how we go to Him. Peter says it this way. He says, baptism now saves you. It's not not the removal of dirt from the flesh. It's not just a spiritual shower. It's not just the removal of dirt from the flesh, but it's an appeal to God for a clear conscience through Christ Jesus. God may not heal your sickness. He may not make you love your job. But He will absolutely forgive your sins. He will absolutely forgive your sins. You know, at our house, uh, we're praising God because of His faithfulness to Papa Alvy. He certainly answered our prayers, and we don't deny that. Uh, We are grateful for that, and we are praising His holy name for that. But there's another side to the story. On Sunday, as the family thought about what to do when faced with these two options, neither of which seemed very good. Don't have the surgery and die of pneumonia, or have the surgery and likely pass away on the operating table. There's no good option there. There's no good option there except for one thing. Many years ago, Alvi Parrish took his sins to Jesus because he thought he could help. And he made an appeal to God for a clear conscience through Christ Jesus. And God forgave his sins. And for many years, Alvy Parrish has lived as a child of God in the kingdom of God. So if last week would have gone differently and Papa Alvi had passed away on the operating table... I would still be here today saying that Jesus is worthy of our faith. I'd still be encouraging you to come to Jesus, to take your sins to Jesus, because even when our bodies aren't healed, our souls can be. So Here's what I think. I think some of us here today realize that we're sinners and we're in need of a Savior. I think some of us realize that we're sinners in need of forgiveness. In fact, there's only two kinds of people in the room today. There's only two, sinners in need of forgiveness and sinners who have asked for forgiveness and rejoice in that forgiveness. If you're here today and you're in the first category, I want to invite you to come to Jesus today. Just like Jairus and just like the woman, I want to invite you to come to Jesus today, but not seeking physical healing, seeking spiritual healing. You don't need to have been coming for a long time. You don't need to know all the right words or right phrases. You don't need to know all the right people. There is only one requirement for you to come to Jesus today. You have to believe that coming to Jesus will make a difference. If that's you, I want to invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this morning.